time, man. Good to see you. Squirrel.
All right, Gateway, if we can start making our way to our seats. We've got the countdown. I know we enjoy a good time of fellowship. It's great to see everybody this morning here and Lord willing healthy. Amen. It's great to see everybody. Welcome to Gateway. If you're visiting us with us for the first time or second or third, we just say we're very welcome that you're here. Glad you're joining us for worship. Hope you enjoy the presence of the Lord and feel welcome here this morning. For those watching us online, we're so glad you're able to be with us as well. And let's all give a shout out to our Pastor Grady. Hi, Grady. Yeah, he's a little under the weather past few days. So we'll be praying for him today and for all those others who are sick and not feeling very well. No, we miss you. We've been praying for you and we can't wait for you to be with us again. We have a good amount of announcements, a lot going on in the life of our church this week, getting back into some normal routine since we've had some sickness the past few weeks. So just want to make uh, some reminders of things. Kids worship first through fourth graders is happening today. Parents are like, woohoo. Um, just kidding. Their older kids are great. Um, so first through fourth grade, we're going right outside these doors um, just after our prayer time. Um, this Wednesday, we kick back in. We keep saying it every week, Lord willing. Um, but no, we really think this is going to happen this Wednesday um, at 6 p.m. <clears throat> Just want to remind everybody uh, the studies that are taking place. We've been mentioning it the past few weeks. Uh, but the kids are kicking back in with their gospel project. Uh, the youth group, we will start our study with Philippians. Uh, men, you will continue the book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And some of you men, if you haven't been a part of the group yet, you can jump right in. There's no reason to think, well, I didn't start with the book. I don't want to be tough to come in, but please join in with them. We'll get you a book. It'll be a nice transition for you. Ladies, we still are doing the two studies. Uh, the first will be led by Alicia Young and Cecilia Teal called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And the second lady study will be led by Miss Karen Fowler on Romans chapter eight, who we are in Christ. Um, for those that have been visiting with us or been here for a few months and you haven't been a part of our uh, first step into membership and getting to know our DNA and who we are as Gateway, uh, that is called Discover Gateway. It takes place at our pastor's house for a time of lunch, a fellowship, and then the class that follows. So we had to reschedule that for next Wednesday, January 30th. Uh, there's a few spots left, so if you would want to register for that, you can go to our website at gatewaybaptist.com, and you'll be able to see the blog there to register for that. Very excited also, um, in the 1st of March, we've mentioned this the past few weeks, we're going to do a talent showcase um, coming in the 1st of March. Where's my youngest daughter? There she is. Stand, my love. This is Haley. She's my youngest. She's a very gifted actress and loves the arts and things like that. She is leading this. It's her vision. We're so excited. Tomorrow night will be the auditions at 6 p.m. Um, some have already signed up, but if you haven't, you can go to the website, to the blog, sign up for it. If tomorrow night's not a good time for you, get with Haley, and she will get with you and set up a time where you can audition and be a part of this wonderful night of showcasing the gifts that God has given you. And all of us here at Gateway, it's going to be a fun night. Men, just continue to remind her, February 5th, Saturday, uh, it's a men's day hike. Um, it is for all ages of men, all ages. So dads, you can bring your sons. Uh, the details and registration are on the website. We've been announcing that the past few weeks. And lastly, a new event that we're very excited about, a parent's night out. 
It's going to be hosted by the young adult group. They're very gracious and came up with this idea to have child care over in the gym for parents on Saturday, February 12th. It's going to be a nice Valentine's evening, a little date night from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. So three full hours, parents. They're all like, oh, my gosh. I know. Get excited. It's the Lord is at work. So, um, but the young adult group, we're so grateful for all of you, your leadership to lead this. So there's limited space. Again, if you go to the website on the blog, you'll see it for registration. So that's Parents Night Out, Saturday, February 12th from 4 to 7. All right. If you'd please stand and I will catch my breath. And we will begin our time of worshiping the Lord through prayer, through the declaration of his word, through singing and honoring him this morning, who is worthy of our praise. Amen. This is Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness, and they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's worship our king today. Okay. 
yours forever By the grace of God we will carry on His love endures forever
making him perfect the tomb who will send through the ages giving rest to the Christ our Savior, and He is Jesus. We'll carry our burdens and turn our sorrows.
Psalm 92, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And Lord, we do declare your loving kindness this morning as we've sung. Lord, that your love is a steadfast love. Your love is a love that endures forever. Lord, when we woke up this morning, Lord, our sin was great, but your grace was greater. Lord, we just revel, Lord, in the hope of the gospel this morning as we gather together in the name of Jesus. And Lord, at night we declare your faithfulness. Lord, you are faithful to generations And you are faithful in the microseconds, Lord, when we are desperate. Lord, you never fail. Your love never fails. And Lord, that's the God that we come to this morning. A God of redeeming love. And we're just so grateful. And Lord, this morning we just want to lift up our own church family to you, Lord. We have quite a few that are sick, Lord, physically and Lord, for Grady and Julia and the kids, Lord, their family and and other families that are sick, Lord, we just pray physical healing. Lord, we thank you that you are the great physician, that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And Lord, we cry out to you for healing for them, for the many that are sick. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness there. And Lord, we just thank you for those among us who minister, Lord, with servants' hearts. I thank you for Lenny and Debbie. Dixon, Lord, and Shepherd Staff, Lord, and their heart, Lord, to meet the needs of so many, Lord, all in the name of Christ. Lord, because of the work you've done in their life, Lord, that grace that came to them goes through them to so, so many. We pray, Lord, there'd be fruit in that ministry, Lord, as the gospel is shared, as uh, they are the hands and feet of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for one of our fellow churches, Snowden Baptist Church, and their pastor, Steve Campbell. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ here in Montgomery. And Lord, we 
Uh, we thank you for the unity that you bring among so many churches. And we pray, Lord, for Pastor Campbell. God, that you would just empower him and encourage him. Give him great wisdom to lead and to shepherd in these days ahead. And that their church, Lord, would thrive, Lord. We pray for those around the world, Lord. We pray for the Zenu people of Colombia, Lord, just as the gospel comes to them. Lord, and the many, the few Zenu believers, I should say, Lord, as they go out and share the gospel, Lord, would you just, Lord, bring fruit in that people group, Lord, that there would be those that would come to know you. And Lord, we just thank you for your provision for our church, Lord, in every way. Lord, we thank you for the finances, Lord, to uh, really to carry out the gospel ministry here. And Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness in that. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a people, Lord, uh, of generous hearts, Lord, cheerful givers, Lord, as you put it on our heart. And we just thank you for that. Lord, we pray for Seth as he comes to share the word today, Lord. Lord, I thank you for his heart. Lord, I thank you for the life he uh, lives and, Lord, the witness that he is. And, Lord, I just pray even today as he shares, Lord, you would just empower him, Lord, with your word. And I pray that you would open our ears, uh, Lord, to hear your word. Lord, our eyes to see the truth. Lord, that you'd open up our hearts to believe and receive what you have for us today. And Seth brings the word. So Lord, we just thank you for the time we've already had to worship you. And now as we go to worship in the word, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Good morning, Gateway. How's everybody doing this morning? So, my name is Seth Rodebeck. I am not the senior pastor of this church. I'm an elder here filling in for Grady, our pastor who is sick with COVID and at home. I know a lot of people have been um, sick with that, so it's good to see a few more of you here today. But first of all, I just want to say welcome to all of you. Um, Just welcome here, okay? For those of you Uh, who have blown it this week, you are welcome here. For those of you who are suffering and in pain, you are welcome here. Your mess is welcome here. Your fears, your anxieties, your failures, you are welcome here, right? We, We serve a God who came to save the sick, okay? So this morning, I don't want you to feel like you have to put on pretenses. I don't want you to feel like you have to Come in here and have it all together, like you have to come in here and put a smile on your face and say, hey, I'm doing fine this week. You're welcome here. Jesus came to save the sick, okay? So so come, be welcome, know that you are safe here, know that this is a place you come to get well. This isn't a place you come to to show off your successes, right? We're we're trying not to be Pharisees here in this place. And so I want to welcome you all here. Please come and just know that you are here. And that's one of the things I want us to talk about. We're going to talk about hope today, right? I want you guys to know that there is hope in the midst of your pain and suffering. In John 16, Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. Now, that's a promise that none of us have a hard time believing, right? We know this world is full of trouble and brokenness and pain and suffering, right? In all different ways. We're broken in our society, in our culture, in our families, in our bodies. We have physical illness, mental illness. We have emotional brokenness. We have 
so much brokenness around us. And I want you guys to see today the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He is the anchor for our souls in the midst of the pain and suffering that you may be going through at this time. And today we're going to look at a simple short verse written by Paul. It's Romans 12, 12. So turn there if you would. Romans 12, 12 is going to be our verse today. Now I was in Cameron's Sunday school class and he told us not to read just one verse today, but we're, we're going to break that rule. We're going, to, we're going to have context though. We're going to unpack it all. We're going to look at this. And if you would, please stand with me as, re, as we read Romans 12, 12, just in the honor of this wonderful gift of the word of God that we have. So let me read Romans 12, 12 for us. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings. We thank you for the promises that it tells us of. And this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to understand this verse here today, that we would help us to understand the hope we have and that we can rejoice even in the midst of pain and suffering. So just help us to unpack this today, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So let's, let's make sure we understand the context of this verse, Romans 12, 12, right? Um, so before we look at these three things individually, it's important to understand that in, in the book of Romans, in that letter that Paul wrote, in the previous 11 chapters leading up to chapter 12, um, he's been explaining God's mercy and his righteousness. He explains how God's righteousness is applied to us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, right? It's written to Christians. And this is what Grady's been preaching about for the past several weeks, right? He's been unpacking the doctrines of justification, sanctification, glorification. And, and that's, what we're, that's what Paul has been laying out in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul is explaining what the grace of God will produce in our lives. So for those of us who believe in the gospel, who receive the work of Jesus Christ... In Romans 12, Paul is shifting to, this is what the marks of a believer is, right? So we're seeing the justifying work of Jesus Christ will be applied by the Holy Spirit to sanctify us so that we will patiently and prayerfully hope through all trials until we are glorified in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and so this exhortation to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer is directed exclusively to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, right? So if you're a Christian here this morning, this hope that we're going to be talking about is yours already in Christ. And if you are not a believer here this morning or listening, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, I want you to listen and I want you to know that in the midst of this broken, painful world, there is hope available to you. Okay, so let's start to look at this then. Let's look at this first command from Paul to rejoice in hope. And of course, before we can rejoice in this hope, we've got to understand what it is that we're rejoicing in. I want us to understand what hope is from a biblical perspective. Okay, and so as we think of this word hope, we think of the idea hope, what do you normally think of? Okay, think back how we might have used this term, how we might use this um, in our day-to-day -day lives. Think back to when you were a kid at Christmas time, right? Christmas is coming, you see packages under the tree, man, I hope I'm getting blank. Whatever it is, you were hoping, right? And what were you really saying? It was a wish, okay? It wasn't something you were absolutely certain of receiving. You were wishing that that thing was going to be there. You were wishing that you were getting the gift you, were gonna, you had asked for. And think about waiting on, on uh, the results of a medical test, right? 
Man, you go in, you get the blood work done, you have the scans done, you do this, you're awaiting for that doctor's call. Man, I hope those test results are good. But we're not assured of that, are we? We're not assured that those test results are going to be good. And what we're really thinking there is, man, I wish everything would work out the way I want it to. And that's the way the world uses the word hope. That's the way it thinks about the word hope. It's wishful thinking. Right? Even a, a, a dictionary definition, this is how, how Merriam Webster defines hope to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. So, hope to the world is a wish. It's not much to rejoice in, is it, when we think of it that way? But let's contrast the way that Scripture talks about hope versus the way the world thinks about hope. And we're going to be in, in uh, Hebrews 6. You can go ahead and turn there. I'm just going to do a couple. Quick ones here, but Hebrews 6.11 talks about the full assurance of hope. Hebrews 6.19 talks about a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope, right? So the writer of Hebrews does not seem to view hope as a wish, but as something to be confident in. And why is this so? What's different about biblical hope that allows us confidence in a future thing instead of simply wishing a future thing will come about. R.C. Sproul, he defines hope as a firm conviction that the future promises of God will be fulfilled. Hope is not mere wish projection, but an assurance of what will come to pass. So R.C. Sproul is saying that, that biblical hope is based on the promise of God. That's a distinction between the way the world thinks about it and the way the Bible talks about hope. And I want us to look at, at uh, the life of Abraham, right? This definition offered by R.C. Sproul is proven in the life of Abraham. And there's a couple places in Scripture where it specifically talks about Abraham as an example of hope. One of those is right here in Hebrews 6. So let's stay there. And I'm going to read for us Hebrews 6, 11 through 18. Listen to how Scripture talks about Abraham and the hope he has. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So we see in Hebrews 6, 11 through 18 that Abraham's hope was based on the promise of God. God promised that he would bless and multiply Abraham, but God didn't fulfill that promise immediately, did he? There was a time in Abraham's life where he did not have the fulfilled promise, but he simply had the promise that it was going to be fulfilled. And not only did God promise Abraham, but he swore an oath by himself. Abraham put his faith in God's promise and oath. And the writer of Hebrews explains that Abraham had confidence in God's promise because God himself is unchangeable and cannot tell a lie. So when God makes a promise, 
He will deliver. And in fact, he must deliver or he would cease to be God. The very character of God assures us that what he promises, he will deliver. And that's true for us today. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. So we, like Abraham, can place our hope in the future promise of God. Now turn over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. And here we also see Paul talking about Abraham. And he he writes about him. He says, In hope Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God is able to do what he promises. Are your circumstances telling you that there's no hope today? Are your circumstances tempting you to doubt God and his promises? Abraham was there. He was promised, and as recorded in Genesis 22, 17, that Abraham would have offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Yet there he was, a hundred years old, Sarah 90 years old and barren. From the world's perspective, it was hopeless. There wasn't even wishful thinking at that point for a guy like Abraham. But you see, Abraham wasn't basing his hope on wishful thinking. Abraham had faith in the future promise of God. Against all worldly hope, Abraham believed in the yet-to-be-fulfilled promise of God. And through this unwavering belief in God and his ability, Abraham's faith actually grew during this time. So as Abraham gave glory to God, as he rejoiced in God in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of these struggles, in the midst of these trials, his faith grew. Abraham was rejoicing in the confident expectation that God would fulfill his promise. So what's God's future promise for us that we can put our hope in, right? What do we we rejoice in? We'll turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And Peter writes there, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. So the future promise of God for us is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, what's that about? Aren't we already saved if we believed in Jesus? Isn't that our salvation? Well, yeah, that is our salvation, right? When we place our faith in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. Our sins separate us from God and Jesus through his life and death on the cross paid the penalty of death for our sins. And through this sacrifice, we are spiritually justified before God the Father. We're no longer under his wrath. However, even though our sins are no longer counted against us, we are still here in this world. And this world is broken. This world is full of sin. 
And even though the penalty for our sins has been paid, we are still in the presence of sin. In fact, these perishable bodies that we live in are still sinful and incapable of inheriting the kingdom of God, as Grady preached last week. He went through that, right? These perishable, perishable bodies are still subject to death. And so the salvation to be revealed in the last days is our resurrection. On the last day, we will be raised to life, and perishable bodies will be transformed into imperishable bodies. On that day, we'll stand before Jesus Christ to be judged, along with the rest of creation. And in God's perfect love, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ will be spared the wrath of God. The others, in God's perfect justice, will have to answer for their sins because they've rejected the atonement of Christ. They'll be placed under the unmitigated wrath of God for all eternity. And after this judgment, we will then be delivered from the very presence of sin. We will be perfectly in the presence of God for all eternity. We will perfectly glorify God and delight in Him. Paul sums this up in Romans 5, 1 through 2. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 6, 19 through 28. He says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So this is the hope that we are to rejoice in. As we stand in the fulfilled promise of God, which is our salvation, we look to the future promise of God, which is the resurrection, and we rejoice in that. God will fulfill his promise. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Right? Jesus said in John 14, he's going to prepare a place for us. This is a promise to be excited about. It's a future promise to put our faith in. Hope, then, is not wishful thinking. It is the absolute confidence that God will fulfill his future promise. And therefore, we rejoice in hope. And that leads us to the next point, to be patient in tribulation. So as we rejoice in hope, Paul then commands us, back in Romans 12, 12, to be patient in tribulation. This command is the natural outflow of rejoicing and hope, right? Because we have not yet been saved from the presence of sin, we're subject to many kinds of tribulations and suffering as we walk the path of obedience to God's ways. Tribulations come in many different forms. Persecution for your faith, relational difficulties, heartbreak, physical illness, mental illness, disappointments, failures, lack of resources. It can go on and on, the different trials that come to all of us. And in all of these, Paul commands us to be patient. Now, listen to what patient means. This word that he uses here is, is patient. It means bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Has anyone else struggled with that? <laughs> Do we, is that our natural reaction to calmly and without complaint bear troubles, bear pains, right? And I think part of the reason that I lose patience in the midst of these, of these trials, is because I forget about the hope I have in Jesus Christ. My immediate circumstances become more real to me and have more power in my mind than does the future promise of God. 
So if we maintain the proper perspective by viewing the world through the hope we have in Christ, trials actually become something we praise God for. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our suffering is doing something for us. We can praise God for these sufferings because in Jesus Christ, they serve us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So with the proper eternal perspective, we do not have to fear trials, but we can rejoice in them. God will use these trials for our good and that our faith will be refined and grown like Abraham's. These trials will strip us of the earthly things that we love and long for so that our faith in the future promise of God will grow. In Mark 4.19, Jesus said, he's talking about the different soils. He said, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Trials will cleave us of the cares of this world and push us into a deeper faith in and expectation for the future promise of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is a... a I think uh, one that we're familiar with. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Paul gives us a wonderful perspective in facing trials. He says, uh, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the trials you're facing right now are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh your suffering. That's a promise of God. That is something you can rely upon no matter what you're facing right now. Paul isn't saying here that trials aren't difficult. He says they're light and momentary. He's not saying they aren't difficult. He's not saying to quit being a baby and suck it up, right? He's saying instead, instead of focusing so intently on your trials, which will come to an end, focus on the future promise of God that will last forever. The temporary suffering you experience now, though significant, is microscopic in comparison to the eternal glory you will enjoy with Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says there is no comparison. However, we are so tempted to think in the exact opposite terms, aren't we? We see the challenging circumstances of life and we think that those are the eternal things. We feel the weight of suffering and we believe that it is going to last forever. We suffer grief and we don't believe that, that we can ever experience joy again. But these are the temporary things. 
and we let the temporary circumstances dictate how we feel and how we act and how we speak and how we live. Guard against this temptation. Allow the blazing light of the unseen future promise of God cast the dark lie of meaninglessness out of your present trials. And I want to encourage you guys. I know when you're going through pain, we're going through suffering, there's this temptation that if I could just understand it, if I could just know why, please, that is not where your peace is going to be found. Your peace is not going to come with understanding the why of your suffering. And the reality is you may seek and seek and seek. God may never reveal that to you, right? He may never give you a specific special revelation as to why you're going through the pain and suffering you're going through. But what he has revealed is that he has given you everything you need in the midst of your trial to rejoice in him and to rest in him. He is the anchor for your soul. Your peace is going to come in the person of Jesus Christ, not in an explanation for why you are going through suffering. So God is serving you In the midst of trial, he's serving you. He's working on your behalf. He will deliver us from all of this temporary pain. Listen to Revelation 21, 3 through 4. It assures us that our temporary painful circumstances will pass away. This is such a beautiful passage. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our promise. That's our promise. He's given us the Spirit of God now. He's given us Himself now to walk with us. So so we're not just talking about future promises. These are wonderful future promises, but Scripture is also chock full of fulfilled promises that we can rely upon, right? He promises that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. It's a promise for you today. He promises that his grace is sufficient for us in times of tribulation. He promises that nothing can separate us from his love. So in addition to the future promises of God, you have current promises for today that he's walking with you through these trials. So as we rejoice in hope, we're patient in tribulation, okay? And then this last point is to be constant in prayer. So Paul tells us rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and finally, be constant in prayer. So standing in our justification, standing in the completed work of Christ, standing in the presence of the Father, okay? We fix our eyes on the future promise of God and we patiently endure tribulations. And then Paul commands us to be constant in prayer. So hope is having faith in a future promise of God as we've established. And faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1 as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. As we patiently endure trials, we're told in 2 Corinthians 4.18 to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter writes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So in order to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, we must fix the eyes of our heart 
on the future promise of God. This is accomplished through prayer, through communion with God, through community in the church. Listen to the, Paul, uh, to the prayer Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. This is Paul praying. He says, For this reason, because, of I, I, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So guys, we've got to pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see what our physical eyes cannot see. We had to pray for wisdom to understand the future promise of God and how that comforts and motivates us for today. We pray that God would show us the glorious inheritance we have in Jesus Christ and therefore be filled with rejoicing. So the things we see with our physical eyes distract us from the things that we can see only with our, with our spiritual eyes. When we focus exclusively on our trials and how things in our lives are not the way we would like for them to be, we begin to believe the lie that the world is all there is. We forget that this life is short, and in comparison to our glorious inheritance, our trials are light and momentary. Therefore, pray constantly so that you may rejoice in hope and patiently endure tribulations. And so, guys, in conclusion and wrapping up here, to, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Has the hope in your inheritance grown cold? Do you rejoice in hope anymore? Is your hope currently in the inheritance being kept for you by Jesus Christ? Or have you put your hope in the things of this world instead? Have you exchanged your hope in God's promises for wishful thinking? Are you despising the trials that God has allowed in your life for your good? Maybe sorrow has overwhelmed you. This is a good time to repent, to ask the Holy Spirit of God to show you what you're putting your hope in, to ask the Holy Spirit of God to change the way you're thinking, to ask the Holy Spirit of God to open the eyes of your heart to see the reality of the promises of God and how those things can give us hope for today. Ask the Lord to renew your faith in his promises. Ask the Lord to anchor your soul in hope. This hope is infinitely greater than any sorrow or trial we could ever face in this life. And guys, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you if you're broken this morning, don't hide that. Don't keep that from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Bring those to one another. Bring those to one of the elders. We would love to pray with you and to encourage you and to, and to lift you up with the promises and the word of God. That's why we're here, right? Christ is proven strong, not in your success, not in you having it all together, not in you following all the rules. That's not Christianity. Christ is proven strong in your failure, in your weakness, in your sin. He longs to forgive you. He longs to come to you in your brokenness and in your weakness and in your failures. That's the heart of Christ. So please, let's make this a church. Let's make this a place where the sick and the broken and the needy are welcome. 
please don't make this a church, a social club where you come in here, man, everything was great this week. Everything was fine. Everything was wonderful. Please come to this place. Come to the elders. Come to your community of faith and bring yourself, which is broken and a train wreck and imperfect, and we all have these struggles. Bring your, bring your doubts, bring your anxieties, bring your fears, bring that to the foot of the cross and allow the amazing work of Jesus Christ to meet you, the amazing person of Jesus Christ to meet you right where you are. And for those of you who are not believing in Jesus Christ right now, I mentioned earlier that Paul's exhortation was directed to those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. But for those of you who have not, this hope is available to you today. For the, uh, it, it's a free gift out of his incredible love for you. God has made a way for you to be reconciled to him, right? So I would encourage you today, please let today be the day of your salvation. Christ has completed the work. He's made a way for you to experience this hope in the midst of a very broken world. He desires for you to be born into this living hope. Don't put this off any longer, right? Be reconciled to God today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us an entire book of promises that you have already fulfilled and promises that you are going to fulfill and that this is a reminder today that our hope is in you, the person Jesus Christ. You are the anchor for our soul. And so this morning, Father, I pray that for those of us who are here suffering with trials, with baggage, with failures, with all these things, that we would come to you this morning right here, right now, and bring those things to you, Father. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that as we sing this last song, that it would just be a time of meditation, that you, Holy Spirit, would do some work in our hearts to bring to light whatever it is that we need to bring to you and trust you for. I pray for freedom in our weakness and failures, Lord, to trust in you. So, Lord, I just pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and work in this last song that we're going to sing here. In Jesus' name.
8.30 here in the sanctuary, there's an opportunity to come together and pray. Just as a church, uh, we do the second and fourth Sundays of the, of the month. And so today at 4.30 in the sanctuary, you can come back and just pray. That's one of our exhortations today was to be constant in prayer. So come out and do that this afternoon if you would. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are a high priest who sympathizes with us. You understand, Lord, what an amazing thing that you have suffered uh, even more so than we have suffered. You understand our pain and our trials and all of that intimately, Lord. Thank you. And I just pray today that you would bless each one here, each one listening online, Lord, that you would just, just make us so aware. Help us to, to be more aware of the things that are unseen than the things that are seen. Help us help your promises to be more real than our circumstances, Lord. We need you for that. We need you, Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our heart to see those things that we cannot see with our physical eyes. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We believe in you. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.